All right, ready? Okay, why don't why don't you introduce us? No, no, no. This is your podcast. <laughs> okay, so we're back. This is Rob Cohen back with Phil Cohen, and uh, I don't know what episode of Book Therapy this is. It's like twenty six or twenty seven or something like that. Kind of, yeah. We I I kind of fudged a little bit because one of those episodes I did like an A and a B episode, so we're really twenty six. But is that that's really like twenty seven? No, because you did a fifteen, you did a sixteen A, then you did a seventeen. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Anyways, um, so we're back. Like uh, like we promised, we're talking about a book that uh, Phil suggested this time. So, um, Phil, why don't uh, I think what we'll do is we'll talk about the book. Um, well, first we'll talk about how we came to the book, how, how you suggested the book. Cause it's a little bit of a departure, I think, from what we've done in the past as far as book selections. And then we'll catch up on what each of us has been reading. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll figure something else out in uh, what we're going to do in the future. So first thing I guess I want to ask was how you came up with this book because it's a little different from what we've done in the past because the other, was it two other books we've done? The Trident, Deception, Galveston. Mm -hmm. They're both books and genres that we hadn't really read a whole lot of by authors who we hadn't read a whole lot of or actually any of. And yet this one is a little different because it's a it's a book by a guy I just read. So tell us about the book and why we why you chose it. Right. Well, I had been listening to your podcast and you talked about uh, Too Close to Home by Linwood Barclay. And it sounded like really interesting. And I, I picked it up and, and decided to read it. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought that the uh, storytelling was really good. The writing was really good. It was a very interesting story. It uh, it definitely uh, felt a lot like um, Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter that uh, you had talked about on a podcast before that I also read. So um, I enjoyed it. Um, and I get a daily email um, from this website called BookBub or BookHub or something. And in the emails, every day, there's four or five daily deals. And it's books chosen at random that uh, I can get on my Kindle for anywhere from free to $1.99 or whatever. And last week or the week before, a Linwood Barclay book showed up, and I had just finished reading Too Close to Home and decided, why not? I enjoyed the first book I read, and obviously you know, you did. So we chose it and decided to read it. It was only 99 cents. And that's how we chose this one. Okay, so let's talk real quick about Too Close to Home. So I was a big fan. I raved about it. And I've had time to think about it. And and I, I've read some of the reviews that other people posted online, because I'm curious, I like to see what people said. And there were some... Um, I'm not going to say scathing reviews, but there were some criticisms about it. I've had a chance to think about it. I agreed with a lot of the criticisms, but I don't know that it changes the way I thought about the book. And, and a lot of the criticisms were predictability, um, you know, easily to determine who the bad guy was, not necessarily what the motives were, but, you know, you could see the ending a mile away, that kind of a thing. What did you think about it? Uh, I thought all those things. Uh, I, I agree that uh, it was uh, it was a little predictable. It was very easy to figure out uh, who the bad guy was when he showed up. Uh, you knew that there that when they introduced the character that he was that there was something there was a reason he was brought in. It was a little bit too convenient. Um, but 
you know, the rest of the criticism that you just mentioned really didn't bother me because I thought the storytelling was good. I thought it was a very intriguing story and kind of like you had talked about in your podcast, it was very layered. And uh, the backstories that, that Barclay came up with for each of the characters was very interesting and the details were, were very intriguing. So the issues that I had with the predictability, the 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 climax at the end being a little bit too neat and tidy and, and, and everything cleaned up easily uh it didn't really bother me because the journey was really where the book was and that's really how i felt about too close to home as well or i'm sorry uh, what was the one we just read <laughs> i don't remember what's called no time for oh goodbye. no time for goodbye sorry right, so one, yeah so now you so the book that we chose to so read. the book we just chose to read was no time for goodbye also by linwood barclay and as i just said um I felt that the storytelling was good. I didn't like it as much as I liked Too Close to Home um, because I felt the journey was interesting, the story was intriguing, but the ending wasn't... uh, uh, It didn't pay off enough for me. I didn't find it to be satisfactory. And I felt that... uh, Well, okay, so the idea is that a 14-year-old girl uh, is brought home one night uh let me start over 14 year old girl 25 years ago so what was that 1980 it's supposed to be like 1983 yeah. um uh, she, uh wakes up one morning and finds out that her mom and her dad and her brother are gone and there's no note and there's no nothing and they've just apparently disappeared and for 25 years there's never been an answer She's never gotten a note. She's never gotten anything from them to say that they're alive, that they're dead. For a period of time in the beginning, she was accused of having something to do with their disappearance, but ultimately she didn't. And now, 25 years later, little things start happening that make her believe that her family is still alive and little clues start showing up. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that's told in first person by her husband. So as little pieces of the past start showing up, he begins to wonder if she's making up a lot of this in order to kind of find some closure for herself and starting to wonder if maybe she's going a little crazy, having had to deal with 25 years of never knowing what happened to her family. So that's the crux of the story. And the mystery kind of unfolds to where the secret of the family is finally revealed and it's i think that i was hoping for something a bit more mysterious i think that the resolution of it was a little bit too clean um i couldn't see it being it it didn't seem realistic to me because it was too far-fetched for it to actually happen in real life and i felt that the motivations of the villain came kind of out of nowhere you were just led to believe that the the person who was behind all this was just crazy and it didn't come from anywhere greedy greedy but not greedy because he didn't have anything she no i mean the the bad guy was the 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 mother which wasn't her mother it it, we'll we'll give spoilers i mean the only way to talk about this book is to is to spoil i mean you can't talk about this book and use generalizations and beat around the bush and not say what the the issue was so throughout the process as 
the main character is um, the the main character is discovering little things about her past to lead her to believe that perhaps her parents are still alive or there's some resolution to the disappearance of her family. We eventually find out that her father is still alive, that her mother and her brother have been killed and were killed that, that night 25 years ago, and that the reason why the disappearance and why her mother and brother were killed is because her father was basically living a double life. He had a family with another woman, he had a, 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 another wife and a son, and then he had um, the family that, that, that she was in. And the wife, the other wife, found out that her father was leading this double life and basically killed the, uh, the, the, our hero, our, our heroine, or our main character, whoever you want to call her. Um, call, they killed, she killed her uh, mother and brother and then forced her husband to keep this secret forever. And, and, they, and the reason why she was the one that survived, the daughter was the one that survived, is because the, uh, the crazy lady didn't even know she existed. Um, and so that's, uh, that's really the, the resolution of the story. And you find out that the reason why now, 25 years later, it comes up is because apparently the father had changed his will and had decided that when he died and he was in, in the hospital with, um, you know, on his deathbed, basically, you know, days to live kind of a thing, that he had decided that when he died, everything was going to go to this daughter. And so, um, his wife, who obviously was crazy because um, she had the you know <laughs> had murdered these other people um, she basically put into motion the um, attempt at at um, forcing the daughter to eventually kill herself that was the ultimate motive so that her son could be the right. uh, beneficiary of the of the will and yeah the, the idea was if if uh, you leave enough clues to make this woman look crazy she'll eventually kill herself because nobody will believe her and um, and and if not then they'd figure out a way to hasten her demise but make it look like a, an accident um, so that was uh, that was the the basic general concept of the story and I agree with you it was a little bit far-fetched um, but you know we say that and yet I had a very early on in my career, I had um, a situation where a gentleman had passed away, and he was in his 80s. And his wife comes in, and we have to probate his estate. And she starts going through all of the paperwork and stuff, and she finds out that he did have another girlfriend who he was spending half the week with, every week, and for however many years that was. I have another case only a couple years ago where this woman married a guy and this gentleman eventually passed away and out of the woodwork comes another wife and she claims that she was his wife and apparently he was dividing his time between these two wives and these were in both situations these were um you know other spouses or other girlfriends that lived you know not too far away in the book it was a difference between like pennsylvania and connecticut. connecticut or something like that so or ohio and connecticut whatever it was so this guy was driving as a you know quote unquote his work yeah. was as a traveling salesman kind of a thing he's driving back and forth and dividing his time with his family what i liked about the book it had a very hitchcockian feel to it similar to too close to home you know the wrong man type of a scenario the guy who's just the everyday character who you know in this situation he was just a teacher a high school english teacher and he's now caught up in this 
domestic intrigue and violence and people are dying all around him and you know clues are being left and it's unclear where the clues are coming from or who's leaving them or who he can trust and it had that kind of a dark feeling to it like because we were being given this information by the husband we had to see it from his position of you know the the letter that said the answers are coming was typed out on his typewriter and the hat of her father was left in their house and the keys to their house were missing and all these things where he can say to his reader assuming he's not a dishonest or or um what do i call it uh um unreliable narrator we have to trust that he's giving us all the truth so we want to side with him and say yeah these things they just don't seem to add up it seems to not make sense maybe she is crazy um so that i think was an interesting take on it i think similar to too close to home where it was the same it was the husband who was telling the story and it turned out that it really was the wife's story yeah it's a really 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 good point i mean i i enjoyed that aspect of it i never really felt that it was i never really felt that the book was suspenseful i never felt that it was dark um you know every when when it would eventually get to a point where I thought that it was going to go there, the author would introduce a goofy character to kind of lighten the mood. Whether it was the um, the gangster ex boyfriend or his daughter, daughter his his girlfriend's daughter that was oh, in, right. in 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 in, class. in his class, um, that he he lightened the tension by using those devices, which I think was really great. But to get back to my issue with the story was that the motivation of the mother, Enid, it wasn't money because the guy didn't really have any money. The father didn't really have any money. So what when he found out when she found out that he had another family, she killed the mother and and the brother, and she threatened him. But until that point, she and the dad had already had another son, and she always pitted the son against the dad, and she always threatened the father. See, the issue wasn't that he had another family. The issue was that he had another family because she would never let him leave her, and there really wasn't any motivation for that other than that she was crazy because he didn't have anything that she needed she didn't have anything she wanted and she always despised him and like i said she always pitted the son against him so that was that was really hard for me to get past and if had there been something that she held over him all these years other than the second family and the killing of the mother and the daughter then i the mother and son then i may have understood it but there wasn't he was just afraid of her because she was nuts and I think that was that, that's where the motivations were a little lacking for me. Yes, I agree. It was a product of manipulation. It was this woman, his his wife Enid, that was her name, which I don't know if he can come up with a, an uglier name for a woman. I, I'm not sure if that's yeah, intended, but yeah, there's there's quite a yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was her manipulating even when you hear this backstory of how she and and what was the the girl's name or the main character what was her name I can't remember anymore um, Grace, whatever it is Grace was the daughter's name Grace was the daughter's name um, when you hear about how 
the, they met, it was it was all manipulation. It was her Enid claiming she was pregnant in order to get him to marry her, and then she goes to the doctor. Oops, I lost the baby. Well, she wasn't really pregnant. I mean that we get that, but so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I was thinking as I was reading this character Enid, and I, I wonder if it's going to change a little bit your your perspective on this because you're looking for. A substantial motive. You're looking for something significant that would that would to you make Enid's actions understandable, not necessarily reasonable, but justifiable to you. So when I think of Enid, and there was one scene towards the end of the book which clearly pictured this for me or drew that picture for me. It was when the the ultimate. Um, uh, showdown is taking place at the at the falls mm -hmm. and Enid in her wheelchair because she's immobile she's sitting in the car in the in the passenger seat of the car and she can't move right. and she's yelling out instructions from the passenger seat of the car just shoot him right and the only thing I can think of was Norman Bates's mother yeah I know I, I know there's no motive there there's no it's just pure manipulation well I, yes I, I guess you're right, but I mean the difference about that was in in Psycho, she the the and you're talking about the backstory of Norman and his mother, not Norman with his mother in his head. She had been left. She had been abandoned, and that's why she, and she was afraid of being alone, and that's why she kept Norman close okay. and 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 unfortunately you know altered his personality but and, and isolated him from the rest of the world but it's because she had been she had been abandoned and she didn't want to be alone so i mean i get that that came from somewhere the other place i thought maybe you were going was the manchurian candidate but that's that's brainwashing and the difference between the difference between, between this and the manchurian candidate was that angela lansbury just she wanted the power i mean but there was something there just like with with Norman's mother there's something there there was a reason there there was a motive there was something that drove the mother to do what she did and there wasn't one or at least that I not that I saw and I tried to read it you know thoroughly enough to to get a feeling for what it was why Enid needed the husband there and why she wouldn't let him go and I I couldn't find it so again like I said the first 80% of the book I thought was really, really great. And then in those last couple chapters where the whole story kind of unravels, um, I, 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 I bought into it enough as, mu as much as I could at not really finding it uh, super believable about a man who's living two, with two different families. But when it came down to what the motives of the mother were and there really weren't any other than she was crazy, that's kind of where I, I gave up on it. Okay, and... and I, I agree. Um, there's so much suspension of disbelief, and yet in a situation like this book where it's not as if you're being asked to suspend disbelief of the existence of ghosts or aliens or something. This is really a, a family drama couched in a suspense thriller. So you do want to try and find some some rationale for the actions. And, and I think that the author tried to create 
the Enid character as just being pathological yeah. because of the her backstory of the manipulation with the quote-unquote pregnancy to get him to marry her and, and that kind of thing. And you get the feeling that, you know, maybe maybe the author just wants you to think or to understand or believe that there are just people who are born bad yeah, and they don't need a motivation. And this wasn't The Manchurian Candidate or, or Psycho where you kind of felt that those those relationships in The Manchurian Candidate and Psycho, which were very, very... Um, unusual and some might say abnormal but strong mother-son relationships you know maybe on an oedipus type of a deal where where even in some respects you might raise an eyebrow thinking maybe there's something more than that maybe it's a sexual or pseudo-sexual risk you didn't have that here because you had the son todd no Uh, Jeremy. jeremy jeremy was the son of enid who was not as devoted to his mother the way that that Norman Bates was or or in the Manchurian candidate so so there it, it you're right it 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 was a little bit different from that because there wasn't that weird bond that the two of them had where Jeremy was actually questioning what his mother was saying and was questioning her motives and at one point when she says shoot him he's like I'm not sure I can do this so it was a little bit different the parts that I felt were were that I didn't really have as big a problem with. It just, to me, there were a couple of implausibilities about the story. The weird connection of the gangster having happened to be the father or the stepfather or pseudo-stepfather of his star pupil and who he's trying to get through to, when if she hadn't shown up, the guy probably would have killed him. It's like... Okay, that's you just. That I guess you did. On your side, and yes, I know. I, yeah, I guess, and then the fact that um, somehow or other he enlisted the help of the school principal, yeah. to, which we, I, I saw that coming. I'm, I'm sure you did. I, I did too. And and the problem with that was it was an interesting twist to the story, but completely unnecessary, and it was set up so it was so obvious. And what I mean by that is all that the, the, our female heroine had when, from, from when she was a child, when her family deserted her, was a shoebox of, of newspaper clippings that her father had kept. And just surprisingly, each one of the clippings was a clue leading her in the direction she needed to go and one of them in particular was a newspaper article that had been cut about a young woman being killed and left for dead on the side of the road and it didn't make any sense why he would have kept that but it pointed in the direction that sh- that that our storyteller needed to go to figure out who it was and who had been assisting the father all these years which was his best friend, who just so happened to be the school principal at the school that our storyteller worked at. So yes, Rob's right. Super convenient, super unnecessary, and it's just yeah, completely obvious and 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 telegraphed. So, having said all that, and having read these two books, Too Close to Home and No Time for Goodbye, what do you see as? similarities between them because I, 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 I've noticed 
I, I, in reading both of those two books, there were a couple of glaringly obvious, I'm not going to say morals that, that the author was trying to pro- project, mm-hmm. but I did, it, the, the two stories have similarities as far as messages. So go ahead. Well, I, I, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. Lies. Both of those books were predicated upon the lies between the spouses. Oh, yeah. When you think of Too Close to Home, you think about the fact that all of this was, well, not all of the, the that, that a portion of the wife's story was derived from the fact that she had kept secrets from her husband. Mm-hmm. The secrets about her relationship with ended up being not the principal of the school, but the dean of the school or whatever it was, who had written the book but had not written the book, and she knew it, and she went and saw the kid who actually wrote it, and instead of the kid killing himself, he died trying to save her. And, And so much of the drama of the book was a result of the fact that the wife kept a secret from the husband. When you think about this book, No Time for Goodbyes, you think about the drama that was created because the husband was keeping secrets from the wife. Right. And I don't, I don't know if that's... I, I, my intention is to read more of this, this author's books. I, I will read more and, and I get a feel for whether that's a, a consistent exactly. theme. Um, but I thought it was very interesting that both of these books happened to have as that kind of keystone, fundamental... Um, cornerstone of the drama was the keeping of secrets right. between the spouses right yeah i i think you're totally right and that that brings up i mean that is a really good point um i my takeaway from reading these two books is that well first of all the other the other um criticism i had of uh, no time for goodbye was uh you're always talking about keeping the suspense going and sometimes books aren't long enough or sometimes books are too long and this was one of those books that I felt like it was a little bit too long because I I would love to go back through and count how many times our protagonist reiterates all the facts again and again and again I mean it seemed like every other chapter he was meeting somebody new and explaining to him all, everything that had happened to this point again and again and again so it, it was repetitive but um, the the takeaway that I am that I have from reading these two books is that he's a very talented writer and he has very good ideas and the storytelling is very good for ninety percent of the book and then the both of the endings were just not satis- satisfying enough and that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm hesitant to read anymore because I don't. I don't want to be disappointed by an ending again. Um, as much as I felt that uh, Too Close to Home, the story was really about the journey and the stories of these people's lives and getting us to the end, this one, I really felt like I really wanted to know what happened. I really wanted to know what happened. I, th- I had a feeling that the ending was going to be similar to Too Close to Home and that it was an accident. I was expecting it to, this mystery to take us all over the place for us to find out that it was an accident. 
and it didn't end up that way and and obviously like i just said the 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 motivations of the the villain were just not satisfying to me so he wrote he's written many other books i have one of them uh in paperback um that i'm i'm gonna read and um it's called trust your eyes and it's not here it's downstairs um and uh yeah these are the ones that i've got stacks of books these are the ones that have all been read <laughs> these are all the books that have been read uh not necessarily by me amy's read them um trust your eyes is as far as i can tell based on the back it's rear window it's somebody who is confined to wherever location they are and they witness something out of their so rear window so i'm going to read it I'm, I'm interested to 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 see if your thought process and and i'm not disagreeing with you i'm not i don't i don't want to hold for for too close to home i did not hold the ending against the author because i agreed it was about the journey and and i thought that the journey of the the reading experience was so enjoyable because it was really like compelling like you had as soon as you finish chapter you have to read the next chapter and it was it was more because you wanted to see how the story progressed step by step this book I felt the same uh, um, intensity for the reading experience, but it was because I wanted to find out the end, mm. not because I was interested in the step-by-step. Right. -step. I needed to find out the answer. So I, I did rate this book a little bit less than, than um, Too Close to Home because I agree. I, I, I wanted it to be some spectacular answer. And yet, as I sit here now and we talk about it, what would have been a satisfactory ending? I How, told you. Yeah, an accident? You would have been satisfied with an accident? She would have been satisfied with an accident. But it, but that's, we're not her. We're the reader. We're the reader who has been taken on this journey. We're a reader who expects out of our books, because this, her, she's a quote-unquote real character, so real life is not what you find in books. <clears throat> we're reading a book. We want to be shown by the author something really creative something out there uh -huh. something we never would have expected okay. we don't want to cop out right we want something that will blow your mind and i'm not sure thinking about now what that could have been do you really would have been satisfied with an accident so okay answer me this how did too close to home end i, I don't really remember Okay, <laughs> so too, too Close to Home uh, started with um, uh, the family next door gets killed. And ultimately what you find out at the end was that the killer Man, went, so went, went to the wrong house. Yes. Okay, that's an accident. I agree. I understand. Okay, so I'm not necessarily saying that the three of, that the mom and the dad and the son went out for a drive one night after their daughter came home totally blackout drunk and bumped, you know, hit a car and went over the, went off a bridge into the ocean and never came back again. But if it were something along those lines of they were victims, but the problem was the mother and the son were victims. And just like you said, they were victims of the father and it was his fault. And yes, he had to live with it for his entire life and he was trying to make amends for it, which is what led to this at the end. But I would have been satisfied. I, I, I would have been satisfied if if our heroine was satisfied if it were an accident and she were able to say, 
I closed the book. It was sad that it happened, but they were victims and I can move on with my life. After this, I mean, I know you, you pointed out to me that there's another book coming out with the same characters. Uh, I know it starts with they're divorced. I mean, I don't want. I don't find it. I don't find it satisfying that at the end of the book, our female, uh, our female protagonist is going to have to go through years and years of therapy to get past what happened. I wanted her to be satisfied. I think that an accident of some sort or something that showed that her parents and her family were victims would have been more satisfying. So you want a happy ending? <laughs> you, you want. You want everything gets wrapped up nice and tidy, and they tie the bow, and they put a cherry on top, and everybody's okay, and and the last 25 years is sort of, the, the last 25 years of her being tormented by this unexplained event is now kind of washed away by a plausible and satisfying ending for her that she just tur- wakes up the next morning and says, whew, well, that's over. Now I've got it resolved and I'm okay to go go on with my life. Sure. And uh, that's not too much to ask. Okay. I- and I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't know. Part, part of me, while I was reading the book, hoped that they that the, the, the mother and the father and the brother actually, that they walked out on her for uh, some reason. I wanted, I wanted, I don't know, and, and, and maybe a... Um, a masochistic type of a way I wanted them to be the bad guys maybe I wanted them to get up and walk away and say you know what screw this we're out of here I I don't know I I wanted something different and yes this this explanation was different but I don't know maybe not a satisfying different now I did look at the synopsis of the next book and the next book happens to deal with the gangster guy coming back and and maybe having some some impact on the family or whatever it is i I don't know it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting issue i'm not sure if i want to read it i you all right over there yeah sorry i mean i i I think i will eventually read it i think i'll i'll read more of his books simply because i like the writing style i like the 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 smoothness of it Mm -hmm. I like that every chapter ends not with a campy cliffhanger, yeah. but kind of with a realistic cliffhanger. Like, it it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel as if the author is really focusing on trying to create a cliffhanger. It feels like a legitimate cliffhanger at the end of each chapter, and that makes it more readable. Okay. Great. Well, let me know how they are, and I'll listen to your podcast. And if you tell me that one of them has a satisfying ending, then uh, maybe I'll pick it up and read it. All right, that's uh, that's the deal. Uh, as I said, I've got one other book on the shelf, so I'll I'll probably read that in the next month or so, and then uh, then we'll go from there. So after that, you read um, well. What did you read? I don't even remember. I have to look. Yeah, you Hang gotta on, go to your Kindle. Yes, you get his Kindle. Oh, so so here, so so we both read No Time for Goodbye on our Kindles. Yeah, stop kicking me. Back. Sorry. And, and I think, according to uh, my Kindle, the book was about 440 pages long. All right. And it felt shorter than that. Okay. I don't know if it's because of reading on the Kindle and continuing to flip every you know five seconds to, to uh, flip a page, but it felt shorter than that. I don't know if you felt the same way. You're so much more used to reading on your Kindle than I am. Um, but I, I don't know that I... But Although, uh, here, I, I think that a, a strong... Uh, uh, 
detriment for me in reading it on the Kindle is I don't remember their names. I barely remember the name of the book. At least when I have a book in a yeah. hardcover or whatever, I'm looking at the cover when I'm not reading it. I, you know, I'm That's paying true. attention. That's true. Um, okay, so so you've, you've got your Kindle out. What, yeah. what were you reading? All right, so I read uh, Separation of Power by Vince Flynn. So this was the uh, third, uh, third Mitch Rapp book, although actually the fifth because he wrote, he wrote two prequels. I think there's like twelve or thirteen books in the series, and when he got to the end, he wrote two prequels. So I read, I've now read the first three, which are actually books three, four, and five. Um, Mitrap is a really, really fun character. I mean, I've enjoyed all three books. The interesting about them is that they're the books are very realistic. I can definitely see them happening. The the there he's a he is a spy, and um, and he he is an assassin, and he's trying to get out, and they keep pulling him back in. You know, it's that same old thing that you've That's seen a thousand times. But there's there's a second side to the stories, which has to do with um, with U.S. politics. And this the second book and the third book go hand in hand when they deal with um, senators that want to be presidents, and in order to become the president, they have to get whom they want to be the director of the CIA when the current CIA director is dying. So um, they kind of manipulate a world event in order to put the CIA into a, a, a negative light so that they can put the person that they want in as the DCI in order to um, um, in, in order to make the president look bad so that he will he'll have to step down for all of the um, um, covert operations he has um, put into play in the world or um, ensure that he doesn't run for re-election so that they can, you know, run the senator that wants to be president. So it's they're very multifaceted. It, it doesn't just follow Mitch. I mean, to tell you the truth, Mitch is really not necessarily the main character. And what I mean by main character is he's not in every chapter. Um, and a lot of the time he's actually, he's used more as a pawn in the game that the, that the politicians are playing. So I really like that aspect of it and, uh, definitely we'll, we'll continue to read those books, um, when they come. And then after that, I read Child 44 by Tom Rob Smith, based on a recommendation that you had a while ago, I think almost a year ago. And I had, uh, put off reading it for a long time because, um, when you recommended it, I had just read three straight Martin Cruz Smith's books, and I wasn't interested in visiting uh, Cold War Russia again. But um, I needed a little break from Mitrat and wanted to try something different, and I remembered that you'd recommended it, so I just picked it out blindly and decided to read it, and uh, I'm really, really happy that I did. I thought it was it was really great. The first ninety-five percent of it was was really really terrific. Again, the ending—I uh, I don't know. Maybe I just have a problem with the endings of books nowadays because <clears throat> I, I just had a big problem with it. But again, I really feel like the the reason behind this book was the journey and the um, the description of what the USSR was like uh, during the when the hell did the t- 50s, right? I thought so, yeah, during the 50s. Um, Right. Stalin passed away during the book. So, um, 
so yeah, so post-war Russia, uh, following uh, our main character, who is a, a policeman, and um, I thought it was really, really fascinating. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it helped that I know that they've made it into a movie, and I could picture the characters, which always helps. Um, and I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's a, it's a difficult subject that dealt with a killer that's um, that's luring little children, and uh, and um, and killing them and cutting them open and taking out their organs to feed his cats. Uh, so it's a little <laughs> it's it's a little dire, but um, I, I I thought it was really fascinating just the the places in Russia that it took us and the way that our main character figured out the pattern for the killings and ultimately figured out who the bad guy was so I, I really didn't enjoy it the issue that I had with the ending was that the killer when he was found out um, <clears throat> excuse me when he was found out he basically said to the main character you did it you found me you followed all the clues I left you I knew that it would lead you to me and he thought that it was because he knew that that he would find him because he would because they knew each other, but that was not what happened. Our main character followed the clues, and when he found out who it was, he was surprised. It wasn't like "aha, it's him." It was more like "it's him." Uh, that couldn't be possible. So, I, I, whether the the villain was was misled, or you know, or, or the explanation behind it was was lacking, I, I felt that the the mystery was really intense and really interesting. I, again, I thought the payoff and the reason behind the villain doing what he did was was lacking. So I, I don't remember it very well because um, I read it quite a few years ago. And in fact, the Child 44 ended up being the first in a trilogy. Um, the second book called The Secret Speech and the third book called Agent Six. And the books got progressively worse, unfortunately, as they went along to the point where the third book was really pretty pretty poor. Um, and I remember only limited parts of Child 44. Um, I remember there was... Uh, I, I think I remember who the bad guy was. It was brother. Okay. So I do remember who the bad guy was. But to me, the aspect of that book that really stood out was the depiction of Russia during that time, right. the the terror that the citizens lived in, the, the fear of the police and fear of the government, and and the power that the police and government had. I mean, they, I I remember uh, a couple of scattered scenes where it was just they would walk in, pound on the door, and take the people away. It was kind of like the Gestapo. It was just mm -hmm. they had that power, and I I remember <clears throat> some of the descriptions of the torturing of the inmates at, in the basement of KGB headquarters or wherever it was. So that was that was really what I thought was most intriguing about the book and why I recommended it to you. I recommend it to some other people. Um, the, the characters themselves, at some point he gets banished, right? He goes to Siberia or something yeah. like that. He goes to jail, he, uh, prison, or he goes to work. He goes to... No, he, he, gets, he gets transferred to a... a, a a city close to Siberia to basically be like the the mopping boy, okay. yeah. That that that's what I remember. And there's a separation between he and his wife. They get separated at some point. No, they they stay together. Oh, okay, there they stick. Threat that they would be, but yes, no, they stay together. Okay, so they stay together. So it's not only the the story of him, 
but it's the story, the story of, their, of their relationship yeah absolutely and and it ultimately comes down to the fact that uh he was chasing this 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 uh mystery he he was he was chasing down this story and because of you know basically uh defying orders he's banished and his wife is of course not happy with him and we find out that she never loved him in the first place and it's over the course of the next you know the next two acts of the book he gets her on board with trying to solve this mystery and ultimately they do fall in love but the 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 thing that as as you were talking it made me think of it I didn't do a very good job of clearly stating what it was about the villain that bothered me and the thing that bothered me was ultimately find out that the reason that he was killing these children was to get our protagonist's attention and to get him to follow the clues to find him but seriously when you're in a country as big as russia and you start killing children how do you expect that the one cop in the whole country that you want to track this down is going to track it down to find you I felt that 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 was a little bit lacking, but again, like I said, I thought this. I thought the whole mystery of it, leading up to finding out who the bad guy was, was incredible. The description, the journey, the characters, everything. I thought it was really, really great, and I definitely would recommend it to to, to somebody else to read. All right. So, do you want to know how the how the trilogy ends? Sure. All right. So, so tri- read the other yeah. So, the second book was decent. I I don't remember a whole lot of it either, but I think it has to do with some sort of an underground movement to overthrow the government, and of course our our hero Leo Demidov, yeah. Demidov, um, he somehow discovers this plot and he's tracking, you know, he's investigating this underground movement and this quote unquote secret speech is a speech that is going to be given by the leader of this movement to cause this uprising. And then, of course, this person, who I think was ends up being a woman, she does give this speech. It does create this uprising, and then there's like a riot and, and stuff like that. The third book, called Agent Six, actually took place, if I recall correctly, like 10 years later. And you find out that his wife is dead. Uh-huh. Reza? Reza? Yeah. Reza? She's dead. Um, and she died in the United States. Okay. Um, she and their daughter, I think, were in the United States on some sort of a, I want to say like a, a student band performance. Okay. Like Riza, Reza, whatever her name was, was a, a adult chaperone of their, their daughter's glee club. Okay. who was coming to the United Nations, I think, to perform. And she gets killed while she's there. So even though Leo is retired, um, and I think he was forcibly retired, there may be some issue with that, he comes to the New York, he comes to the United States to investigate. Okay. And it turns out that she ended up getting involved with like the African-American community in Harlem. And it, it, it just... To me, it wasn't a satisfying ending of their trilogy, and in fact, I don't know whether the third book was even necessary. It didn't it didn't do anything for me, and I read it more out of obligation to con- to conclude the story. Um, but what's interesting is the timing of your reading of Child Forty Four. It's interesting because Tom Rob Smith's I know, but I keep falling into a rut here. Um, Tom Rob Smith's latest book just came out called The Farm, and I'm 
about two-thirds of the way through it. And it's not related to that area. It's not, it's not, it's not Russia, all. not the characters at all. Does have to do with the CIA training area? No. Okay. has nothing to do with that. Um, it, it's an interesting take on what I would call a very basic story. Mm. Um, and the first 25 pages of the book... I could actually feel my heartbeat speeding up mm. and I could feel my breathing speed up. Like I was like nervous about what was going on. I thought the first one were really gripping. Um, the, the concept is that um, this main character his, is told in first person. Um, he lives in London and his parents recently, within the last year or two, moved out of London to retire in Sweden and they bought a farm the farm in Sweden and it's in this remote area where there's not a lot of people you know your neighbors are, are quite a ways away um, and they they move here because our, our main character's mother was born in Sweden and she came to London as a teenager and that's where she met her husband and so while they're in Sweden there's some sort of a intrigue there's a murder, there's a death, there's a crime, whatever it is. We don't know. Mm -hmm. And so that's the story of what happened on the farm. But the way that it's told, and, and, and telling you that, you're like, okay, sounds big deal. Like, uh, Elizabeth Salander. It sounds like uh, Joe Nesbo's books. Okay, so you, you want to you do the same thing I do. You want to think of it as... As a girl with a dragon tattoo, you want to think of it as, as you know, a Swedish mystery. Yeah. I look at it as, all right, it's it's it, it's any town USA. Yeah. It's you know a small community where something bad happens. Okay. Big deal. Nothing particularly intriguing or compelling about that. But the way that this one's told makes it. It puts a completely unique spin on that story because the the first twenty five pages and it's not giving anything away because the inside jacket I believe tells the story. The first twenty five pages, the main character gets a call from his father, and his father says, "I just want to let you know that I'm having your mother committed to an asylum. Mm -hmm. She's crazy." Our main character says, "I'll be right there." So he goes to Heathrow to get on a plane. And he's calling his father saying, I'm going to be on this plane, I'm going to be on this plane. Finally, as he's at the airport, his father says, Oh crap, mom escaped. She was discharged. She convinced the doctors there to let her go. And she's coming to London. Don't believe anything she says. She's crazy. She's got significant psychological problems. So while our, our main character is at the airport, mom arrives. And she says, your father's trying to have me committed. They all think I'm crazy. Nobody believes me. They're all after me. You've got to believe me. You'll never believe the story. And so he takes her back to his house, and she tells him the story. So it's an interesting psychological experiment. Who do you believe? And and you're getting this whole story from the mother, right? And she, you want 
I don't know, do you want to believe her? Do you not want to believe her? You're listening to her story and you're saying, well, that sounds plausible. But then on the other hand, there's probably there could possibly be a plausible answer for all that stuff. How, how far into this book are you? I've got a little bit less than 100 pages left. left. It's, it's a 350-page book. I'm about 250. At what point has he now spoken to the father and the father's telling his side of the story? Hasn't happened. So, yeah, see, here's where I think, I don't think so. What what where what finally happened is for about two hundred pages is mom or one hundred fifty pages. Mom is telling the story, and and it's boring. That's unfortunate. Is the some of the background stuff, the leading up to where the the actual crime, quote unquote, which we don't know if it's a crime at all, but where that actual crime took place, the lead up is real boring because it's small town stuff. There's not a lot of characters that are all kind of wooden and yada yada. And she's trying to set it up by saying, and this guy was really bad and this guy was really mean to me and whatever it is. But finally, she's predicting what her husband is going to be doing. And he, he told you, son, that he was going to wait by the phone, but I guarantee you he's on an air, airplane and he's going to be here. And he'll, he'll come storming through that door. And then sure enough, he calls, dad calls and says, you know what, I couldn't wait any longer. I just got to London. I'm coming to your house. So it proves her right. But, you know, how's mom doing? Don't believe anything she says. Mom, paranoid, says, we've got to leave. He's coming. They leave. They sit in a cab watching the door, and it turns out that dad shows up with somebody else who happens to be, you know, a quote-unquote co-conspirator, as mom suggests. This is what my guess is going to be. My guess is the book's going to end with the father saying, now let me tell you my side of the story. And you're going to be left wondering, all right, who do I believe? And it's an interesting, I mean, the concept of it is, the, the, the story itself, which is whatever the drama is of the, the quote-unquote crime, is not the focus. Mm-hmm. And, and similar to the books we've already talked about, I want there to be some good answer, some satisfying answer. I don't think I'm going to get it. Yeah. I think the purpose of this book is, these are your parents. What would happen if they both come to you and tell you something completely different from the other? Right. Who do you believe? Um, it's interesting. I, I, I we'll talk offline and I'll yeah. as it ends and I'll let you know what I thought about it. So that's what I'm reading right now. But it's interesting timing with you having read yeah. Child Forty Four. Yeah. I don't know when the movie comes out. Do you? Uh, no, I, I know that it's it's done or it's close to done. But um, no, I haven't seen anything for its release yet. Okay, so um, so that's what I'm reading. What what do you got next, or what are you reading now? Uh, I'm almost 100 pages into a book called Murder Bay by David R. Horowitz, another one of these uh, daily deals. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Um, it, uh, it It's a... It's a... I don't even know how to explain it. Uh, well, it takes place... Every, uh, every other chapter is someplace different. That doesn't make any sense. Um... <laughs> It starts with a um, a soldier fighting for the North in the Civil War. Uh, witnesses an ambush on his on his um, platoon while they're uh, camped, and he gets shot and is left there. And then the next chapter is a policeman in uh, Washington D.C. in 1957, and he um, gets a promotion to head up this task force. Um, 
to look into budgetary issues in the in the Washington D.C. police force, and they um, take over this old building that uh, that they're going to clean up and utilize for their task force. And then the next chapter goes back to 1862 Civil War, and the um, soldier is being repaired and then the next chapter we're back in this house where our main character starts hearing things and he starts he thinks he sees somebody in the house that's not there um and then ultimately we find out that um the captain of the i don't know it's the police captain that's that's been working at this this old decrepit building comes in on Christmas and uh, and uh, our hero sees him and is like, you know, what are you doing here? It's Christmas. And then the phone rings and it's his partner calling and his partner says, we've got to get over to the captain's house. He just shot himself and he's looking and he's like, you know, he was just here. So there's a strange like mystery of ghosts or something. And then we go back to 1862 and find out that somebody is... Um, searching for our wounded soldier to uh to kill him how far along are you 90 pages i i can't figure it out i you know it was 99 cents and i wanted something different i thought it seemed interesting from the description and the goodreads gave it like a four or something and i was like okay let's try it but i don't know it's called murder bay because there's a section of um Baltimore area in the 1860s called Murder Bay where all the hookers and bars and uh, deviants go and I think that that's ultimately where this this uh, assassin is going to try and lure our Civil War soldier out to uh, to kill him but I don't know what that has to do with 1957 and this stupid house with this ghost kid and <laughs> and the captain who was there but apparently shot himself at his house at the same time so there you go Okay, so do you know how long the book is? Hopefully not much longer. I'm a third oh. of the way through. Oh, okay, yeah. so so less than 300 pages. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you, you stopped reading a book, put a book down and said, I can't read anymore? I don't know. I gotta look at my Kindle. I gotta see. I don't know. Oh, okay, so that you, you've you done that. I don't know. Hang on. You don't remember? I don't remember. I mean, I don't. I don't specifically remember either. But I know I've done I, it. I routinely don't read all the books to Arthur. <laughs> do you? Do you have a? Um, do you have a? Uh, uh, like a a rule that if you get a certain number of pages in and you're not intrigued, you'll you'll put it down. Not really. I mean, there's a couple books here that I'm looking at, like Regeneration by Pat Barker. I I was really bored with it, but I kept going. Um, Non-Official Asset by William Sewell. I didn't like that either, but I kept going. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot that one. The Runner by Christopher Reich. I didn't like that at all, but I kept going. Uh, Live by Night by Desil Hayne. I didn't like that at all, but I kept going. Um, oh, so did you read Live by Night? You read the whole thing? I did. You didn't like it? No. What was it about? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was about um, uh, Chicago gangsters that opened up shop in Miami. Yeah. Why? Why didn't you like it? Uh, because it it um, it mirrored a storyline that was going on in um, Boardwalk Empire, which not coincidentally was written by Dennis Lehane, and um, it just it, it it the characters weren't that interesting to me, and I I, I grew very very bored because nothing was happening. Uh, yeah, I had I I after 
so many great experiences with Dennis Lehane's books. I was really that was that turned me off. I was disappointed with it, and I was like, okay, well, maybe he's run out of ideas. Um, here, I love Ridley Pearson. I've read every Ridley Pearson book, but he came out with a new series, and the first book in the series called The Risk Agent that came out last year. I, I almost gave up on that one. It was so boring. Um, and then um, yeah, that was it. That's all on the Kindle that I saw. I've, otherwise, I've read everything else. Yeah, I usually do. Because, I mean, you get the sense that when I read, I read in spurts. Like, I'll go at, at a period of a couple of weeks where I'll read, like, five or six books, and then I won't read a book. It'll take me a while to read one. So if I'm in one of those situations where I'm reading, like, a ton of books at one time, whether work's slow or there's nothing on TV or whatever, then I'll I'll blow through a lot of these books. And that's kind of why some of these books I just I continue to read, just because either A... I felt obligated to continue to read them because I thought something good would come of it. Or B, I, you know, I probably chose the book just because I couldn't find anything else to read. So why go back to the drawing board and try and find something again? So that that's probably the way. I... Okay. Do you have uh, anything on deck? Anything you, you know? You don't think about anything. What's the next book? No, I, I I'll probably go back to read the next Mitch Rat book, but um, otherwise, no. I mean, I. I I don't, you know, I don't do that. <laughs> I don't have a bookshelf, so I, I read everything on the Kindle, which means as soon as I finish a book, I go back on Amazon and I look to see what else is out there, or I listen to your podcast and try and remember what it was that you read that you liked. And you don't buy like three or four books at a time on your Kindle? Oh man, I could do that. Nope. I could just... I... Nope, nope, nope. I mean, it's really simple, especially with the one click on Amazon, but uh, no, no, I won't do that. <laughs> Actually, to tell you the truth, as I was reading... Um, no time for goodbye uh i got the daily deal for this murder bay and i bought it before i finished which was a first because i usually don't buy a book while i'm reading a book so that was the first so far it hasn't paid off (laughs) (laughs) all right you also let me know um cool anything else no nothing else any ideas of what our next book's gonna be we'll have to give it some thought it might be a, a few weeks um yeah, I've got. Uh, I'll probably record one more before we go away to New York, and then then we'll come back and and uh, I'll give you all the scoop on uh, on Thriller Fest. Tell you how that was because it uh, it looks like it's going to be a cool time. I'm not sure how much time we're going to actually get to spend with the authors. It it may just be like a um, signing opportunities. Um, I don't know how much more it's going to be. I th- I was expecting like this whole dinner banquet type thing and sitting at the table and all that but i, I don't think it's going to be that i think it's i think it's just going to be yeah maybe and and the authors sitting at tables and you walk around and get things signed i'm not i'm not sure so we'll find out but uh definitely we'll keep you posted on that um so uh, I, yeah I something. oh i i, I want to mention something based on your last podcast so you went on a pretty big rant about children's books and i don't disagree with you um, because you know, if if anybody out there hasn't listened to the last podcast, you really should. Um, because there's there's a lot of really interesting information that Rob talks about. But one of the things he does talk about was reading one of the Goosebumps books by R.L. Stein and talking about it being a children's book and and how it affected him. And and he went on to talk about things like like the Hunger Games trilogy or Divergent or. Um, or you know, young adult novels out there that are that really don't seem to be 
written for young adults but are definitely geared towards them and and i don't disagree with you but that being said um it is up to us as parents to make sure that our kids don't read books that we don't want them to read and that's why i think it's great that you and and amy read the books before brooklyn does but that being the case if you look back historically at books that kids have read there's a lot of stuff in there that i think if if you took the time you would realize that probably weren't appropriate for kids and uh <clears throat> just the the one thing i can think of right now is uh one of one of brooklyn's favorite books matilda have you ever read it no i i drove her home from a baseball game one day and she tried to explain it to me and i'm thinking this is the fucked up shit going on in here it's really mm-hmm. screwed up the teacher is all is all scary and uh, I mean, there's a lot of really, really scary stuff that goes on in that book. I mean, Roald Dahl was pretty screwed up anyways. And um, there's a lot of really strange things that go on in kids' books that, that go over kids' heads. I mean, even with us, because we read those books when we were kids. But, I mean, think about even, like, um, the books by Mark Twain. I mean, there was bad language. There was racism. There was all kinds of stuff going on. But it was it was period. And so it's 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 accepted as literature because it's period piece and it's written from the time that it i mean it takes place in the time that it was written for something like the hunger games or twilight or ender's game or divergent or percy jackson that take place in fantasy worlds i think that's why they get away with it because they're fantasies but it's up to us as parents to educate our children on that. And say, look, this isn't real. And we have to understand that, that those books that I mentioned are not for 9 and 10-year-olds. They're intended for 15 and 16-year-olds. They're intended for kids of the same age to read. So Hunger Games, 14 or 15. 14 and 15-year-olds would be reading it because the main characters are 14 and 15. And yes, I had a big problem with it too. I read all three books. I saw the first movie. I couldn't stand the. I couldn't stand the movie. I thought it was so violent and so brutal. Not that the books weren't, because they were. But the books do. Now, okay, I'm gonna stop right now and say I enjoyed the first one. I didn't like the second one, and I hated the third one. So I'm not. I'm not the supporter of the Hunger Games trilogy by any means. But there is something there. 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 There is. There are morals. There is there are themes that young adults can take away from them that will empower them and will make them stronger, will make them think. And I think that that's really the point. Things like the Twilight books, I don't know anything about them, but I can't imagine that they're any good. Um, and I, I, I can't imagine that they're anything that we should be afraid of as parents because they seem like romantic fantasies about mythical characters which mythical characters have been mythical creatures have been around for hundreds of years so i don't think it's anything to be shying away from but again it's up to us as parents to audit the books that our children are reading before they read them and 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 make sure that we feel that they're appropriate for the ages that they're at it yeah i don't know part part of me is resistant to that because i really don't want to have to read this shit I, I mean, I, I, but you can you can go you can go online and read the reviews. You can read the Goodreads. You can you can talk to parents who have let their kids. You can you know in this particular case you can watch the movies. I mean, it's I know I know, but 
it's our it's also our, our responsibility as parents no i i agree and and i i think that i was being a little bit I was speaking in generalizations sure. because I agree. My eight-year-old daughter is not reading the Hunger Games. I know it's more of a, when I say young adult, that's really what it means. It's 14, 15 years old. I, I get that. Right, right. But by comparison, Goosebumps, 14 and 15-year-old kids aren't reading it anymore. I'm not arguing with you on that. I'm not, I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it. But here, here is something that I thought about as you were talking because I know you're such a big fan. When's Brooklyn going to read the Harry Potter books? Because I'm not going to read them. I have no interest in reading them. I didn't like the movies. They scared me. So when's Brooklyn going to read them? Yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, Amy and I have talked about that. Um, we have uh, friends um, who have a son who is the same age as Brooklyn. They were in the same class together, at Hebrew school, all that kind of stuff. And they've read the Harry Potter books at, his, at their age, eight, eight and a half, whatever it is. Um, but they read them together. So it wasn't just, here, kid, here's the book, go off. Mm-hmm. Um, that that it was a process of sitting there, reading it out aloud with the parents together so that they could kind of discuss it as the story went on. Um, with respect to that, I think that the right time for, for her, and I'd like her to read the books because I enjoyed them. They were escapist. There was good messages to it. It is... Um, you know, good versus evil. There's right and wrong. There's there's punishments when they make mistakes. Um, there's rewards when they do good things. So it's it's got its its moral values. Not a lot of them, but it's got its moral values. Um, but I think that when they get to be the ages of the when when Brooklyn gets to be the ages of the characters in the books, that might be a good time. But then I gotta remember. I think that the Harry Potter started uh, when Harry Potter's character was either 10 or 11. So it's not that far away. Mm-hmm. And I think that in order to, and if she decides she wants to read them, it would have to be with her mother or I either reading with her or taking the journey with her so that she can ask whatever questions she needs to ask right. and, and, and know that she's not alone when she's dealing with what may be frightening things and and when i read the books and i'm a scaredy cat um there wasn't anything particularly frightening about it until a few books in and and you can tell um as the books went further along in the series they got longer as well so the first few were you know only 350 pages or so and they were pretty simplistic but it's some really intense stuff I and mean, when you think about right. it it is killing it's it's murder it's it's you know real real bad guys trying to kill kids um you know there, there's definitely some difficult themes that i wouldn't expect um my daughter to have to try and grasp on her own and that's true that's a good point and, and um amy has read a couple of the percy jackson books and she really likes them but they're not ready brooklyn's not ready for them mm-hmm. she's not and and the Kingdom Keepers books, which is I couldn't remember the last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Amy's read them. Brooklyn's not ready for them yet. Right. They're too scary. Right. And in fact, I think uh, you read Kingdom Keepers. You read the first one. Amy's read three or four of them. And she says that after the first one, they start to get more tame. But you have to read the first one so to get to the others. And the right, first one was right. scary. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It, it's I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not going to let them read it, I agree. It, it requires the parents to be responsible about what they're reading, 
hope that they understand that if they have questions, they can ask them, let them know that if they're uncomfortable by something, they don't have to continue, but they can, you know, certainly ask the questions as they're going through the process. You know, it's interesting, um, Brooklyn is, is um, interested in, in these, in our podcasts and, and the recordings, and she would love to do one to record uh, with me and uh so her mother had a very you know she said well i'm reading whatever princess diaries book it was whatever and then when i finish i can talk about it and and her mother had a very good um suggestion she said that maybe instead of doing one of her books she should read a classic mm-hmm. but like a a you know a, a a kid's version of a classic that I could then read the classic as well, and then we could talk about it together. So we, we may end up doing that. We'll, we'll see. That's it's fine. it's an interesting yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I think that's it. Um, I don't have anything else to talk about. What? Yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't have anything else to say. Uh, I'm going to probably finish that, that book this weekend, and then I'm not sure what I'm going to move on to. So, um, plenty of here. No, all those books on the floor have been read. They've all been read. They're not coming back. We just don't have any bookshelf space anymore. Um, so, so, anyways, that's uh, that's it uh, for us. This is Rob Cohen, and that's uh, that's Phil. And uh, thank you for listening to Book Therapy. You can uh, send uh, a tweet at Book Therapy Thirteen. You can send me an email at Book Therapy Thirteen at Gmail Rob Cohen Thirteen on Twitter as well. Um, robcohen13.com is the website find us let us know what you think find me on goodreads Um, it's all good rate us on itunes do something whatever we're done thanks for uh, letting me lie on your couch